Hi, Gary Zacharias here. Another episode of our Apologist Bookshelf. I want to deal with a book this time that is probably less known to most people. It's called The Search for Messiah. Mark Eastman and Chuck Smith are the uh, authors of this. And I'll tell you, this little book, and I say little, it's, uh, what is it, 270-some pages, so I know it's not little that way, but it, it just hasn't made that big an impact as far as I can tell. I just haven't seen many references to it, but uh, this book is powerful. And so I wanted to go through just a section of it. Uh, what it says at the bottom as a subtext here, it examines powerful new evidence from the Dead Sea Scrolls as well as the beliefs of the ancient rabbis and the book's point is to discover the identity of the true Messiah. So what it does, which I think is fascinating, of course, Christians read the Old Testament and they say, oh, it's Jesus. Well, a lot of skeptics are going to say, you're just reading into it. Of course you think it's Jesus. But then the word uh, of, of importance here is, well, what did the ancient rabbis think when they were reading this material? And so this book takes a look at rabbinic writings way before Jesus, during the time of Jesus, and after Jesus, and gives us a much clearer picture of what the Old Testament was saying and how it really was interpreted from a Jewish perspective. So it's got some great chapters. Uh, I won't do them all again. I'm just doing uh, selections. Chapter 1, The Hope for Messiah. Chapter 2, The Suffering Servant. Chapter 3, Birth, Lineage, and the Mission of Messiah. Chapter 4, The Lowly Carpenter. 5, Messiah, Son of God, question mark. And then I want to look at chapter 6, The Time of Messiah's Coming. I find this uh, really amazing. So first, I'm going to skip the first part there. They talk about uh, the book of Haggai and how it has some references to the time when they expected Messiah to come. So I'm going to skip over that, but what I'd like to do is go to the next part of the chapter, which is subtitled, Until Shiloh Comes. And they go to uh, Genesis chapter 49. This is one of those blessings that Jacob is bestowing on his sons. So he says in first, the very first verse of chapter 49 of Genesis, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. And so he starts prophesying over all of these uh, children. And when he gets to his son Judah, he says something really interesting. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So when you kind of scratch your heads as a Gentile and look at it and go, I don't know what they're talking about here. It said the word scepter was meant to, uh, to uh, describe tribal staff or tribal identity, and for the Jews, tribal identity meant their right to apply and enforce Mosaic law on the people, including administering capital uh, uh, punishment. And then they said the word Shiloh in there, because it says until Shiloh comes, is an idiom for the Messiah. So the Jewish interpretation for Genesis 49 is that the tribal identity or scepter of the tribe of Judah would not cease until the Messiah came. Okay, so remember Judah is kind of a name for the whole southern kingdom, not only just the son of Jacob. So it says that right before the right for the Jews to impose things like capital punishment, right before that's rescinded, then the Messiah is going to come. 
But so the little history uh, in here, the, the authors say that at one time when they were captured by the Babylonians back in the 600s BC, the southern kingdom of Israel, which is known as Judah, did lose its sovereignty, its national sovereignty, but it still had its national identity. And they still had their own law lawgivers. They said they still had their own judges. So the scepter had not been lost. And even though the Jews later then suffered under the Persians and the Greeks and then the Romans, they still had their tribal identity up until the first century. And then, according to Josephus now, and this is not a, a Christian who's writing, Josephus says around the year 6 to 7 A.D. or Common Era, C.E., the son and successor to Herod, a man named Herod Archelaus, was dethroned. He got banished. And he got replaced, this time not by a Jew, but by a Roman procurator named Caponius. And guess what happened then? The legal power of the Sanhedrin was immediately restricted. They could not do capital cases. So it said they'd been spared that policy. They'd been allowed to do that up until this point. And finally, Caesar Augustus had kind of had it with the Jews, and he just removed that ability for the Jews to, to conduct their own uh, legal power like that. And there's even a quote from Josephus, And now Archelaus's part of Judea was reduced into a province, and Caponius, one of the equestrian order of the Romans, was sent as a procurator. Here it comes. Having the power of life and death put into his hands by Caesar. So in the minds of the Jewish leadership, this was the time that the scepter or the national identity of the tribe of Judah was removed because they no longer had the power of life and death. And then the book continues, says, if you think that's just a Christian contrivance, says, think again. And they have several ancient rabbinical references that indicate that the rabbis did definitely believe Genesis 49.10 was referring to the Messiah. So, for example, here's one. The transmission of dominion shall not cease from the house of Judah, nor the scribe from his children's children forever until Messiah comes. And there are all sorts of other quotes from other Jewish, ancient Jewish sources. So it says, Jews who lived prior to the Christian era certainly did believe that the one name for the Messiah was Shiloh, and that they really believed Messiah would come before the removal of the scepter of Judah, from Judah. So, guess what? That's what happened, right? From a Christian perspective, they even have uh, a mention in the Talmud. It says a little more than 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the power of pronouncing capital sentences was taken away from the Jews. So the Jews knew that this was removal of the scepter. And he, again, they have a lot of quotations of that. Here's one more reference from the Talmud. While Jesus was growing up, now keep in mind, this is going on in the first century A.D. And here's another rabbi that says this. When the members of the Sanhedrin found themselves deprived of their right over life and death, a general consternation took possession of them. They covered their heads with ashes and their bodies with sackcloth, sackcloth exclaiming, this is in bold now, Woe unto us, for the scepter has departed from Judah and the Messiah has not come. How sad is that? When they're saying this, now this is before the time of Jesus, when they're saying this, Jesus is in their midst growing up. But they're saying, woe unto us, because they knew that scepter had departed. Remember, that was in just the first, within the first 10 years of the start of the century there, and that was when Jesus was growing up. 
So Shiloh had come. Shiloh had come and they didn't recognize it. How sad, huh? Here's another prophecy that the book talks about. Remember, I'm referencing a book called The Search for Messiah. It's Daniel's Prophecy of the Seven Weeks. And it's uh, dealing with Daniel 9. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Okay, so keep that in mind. Seven sevens plus sixty-two sevens. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two sevens, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, this pinpoints the time of that Messiah because it says it. And when this visitation occurred, Jerusalem was completely desolate. They'd been captured by the Babylonians. The city had been destroyed. Uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed. The Hebrew people were about to be freed by Cyrus. And it says there are going to be 77s determined for the people of Israel. Well, sevens means literally a week of years, kind of like we say a decade is 10 years. So this is what it's really saying, that Daniel should know and understand that from that command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, okay, so somebody's going to come along and command uh, a restoration, until the Messiah comes, there are going to be 62 sevens, and seven sevens. So what is that? That's 69 sevens. Multiply that out. 69 sevens times seven. Each of those sevens is seven years. You get 483 years. Now, many people believe that at that time in history, just about everybody thought of a year as 360 days. Okay, and that the Jews did that too. All right, so if you do that, you got a calculator out here? So remember, you got 483 years. Let's back up again. The 69 sevens times seven gives you 483 years. All right. But it's a 360-day calendar. So you take the 483, multiply it by 360 days, you get 173,880 days. So the angel in the book of Daniel is telling Daniel that 173,880 days after the command is given, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the Messiah would come. So, of course, the big issue now is, all right, when did that command take place so that you can start the, the clock running? Well, in the second book, uh, second chapter of the book of Nehemiah, it says, In the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes, I took wine, gave it to the king, and says I was sad. And the king says, Why are you sad? And Nehemiah says, Well, I've heard that my people... Uh, their city, Jerusalem, is still desolate. Could I go back and rebuild it? And Artaxerxes says, yes. And the Encyclopedia Britannica, the 1990 edition, says that Artaxerxes came on the throne at 465 B.C. All right, so it says he'd been in, uh, let's see, how long? In the 20th year of his reign. So now we're down to 445. So the day of the decree would have been 445 BCE or before Christ BC. So now you got that. All right. So remember, let's go back again. We've got 173,880 days. So let's start that from 445 BC. And you know what you get? 32 AD. And it says it was uh, verified by the British Royal Observatory. Okay. Now, you, you, you know, I won't give you all the calculations. You got to mess with leap years. 
and you've got exact dates. And so April 6th is what some people come, have come up with, 32 AD. And why is that an important date? Well, people have calculated that that's the time that Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. So even if you don't get that specific, I mean, just the idea that you had a 445, you have this decree, you run through the 360 days, and then you figure out we go by a 365-day calendar. So, you know, you got to crunch some numbers here. But you end up with 32 A.D. That's definitely the time of Jesus. Now, it says you can calculate it other ways than that. All right, so let's not worry about that. Let's just assume that that date is right. So the question is, is this a Christian kind of thing? In other words, are the Christians just manipulating this and the Jews didn't think about this at all? So maybe it's just a Christian contrivance. But here's the, here's the interesting chilling part. To me, it gives me goosebumps. Ancient Jews believed that this prophecy did pinpoint the time of Messiah's coming. As it says, many that lived in the Qumran community, you know, the ones that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, they thought they were living in the very generation for this prophecy. Now, they weren't Christians. But they bought into it. They ran the numbers. I don't think they had calculators, but they figured it out. And they said, it's our time. In the Babylonian Talmud, which was composed uh, someplace between 200 to 500 A.D., here's what some of the Jewish writers said in the Talmud. These times were over long ago when they were talking about those numbers. Even the famous Maimonides, a Jewish rabbi in the 12th century, he rejected Jesus of Nazareth, but he said this about Daniel's 70-week prophecy. He says, The wise rabbis have barred the calculation of the days of Messiah's coming so that the untutored populace will not be led astray. Why would they be led astray? When they see that the end times have already come, but there is no sign of the Messiah. Oh, that's painful, huh? So Maimonides is telling Jewish rabbis, Hey, look, don't start talking to your people about Daniel and let him start scratching around coming up with this prophecy because he says the end times have already come. He knew it was around the first century and he said there was no sign of the Messiah. Well, there was, but he refused to go for that. All right, so those are just a couple of things that are in this chapter. Uh, the destruction of temple is mentioned there. It's got some other wonderful things. So I will probably just, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. I think what's really interesting to me is several times in the New Testament, Jesus is, is being uh, honored and people are excited about him and people want to talk about him to others. And he tells them, no, no. He says, my time has not yet come. Now, what's, what's fascinating about that to me is, I mean, technically he could have come on the scene anytime and died anytime and been resurrected anytime. But for him to say, my time has not yet come. It's like in his head, he had a clock ticking. And that clock is based, I think, on Daniel 9. Now, some people get really carried away with this stuff. And I don't want to turn this into, you know, some esoteric uh, thing where you got to manipulate numbers. I mean, for heaven's sakes, people did this centuries ago when they would talk about pyramid power. They said if you take the dimensions of the pyramid and you add certain numbers and divide by certain numbers, you can get 1776, so ah, the people that built the pyramids knew about the coming of the United States. No. So is this a, just a slam dunk kind of thing? No. 
But I'll tell you, the book goes on and on, and it shows you that these things that we think of as Christian-oriented, Jews themselves, non-believing Jews, picked up on them and thought they did reference the Messiah. They just didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. But it sure pinpoints the time of Jesus, and, you, and the rest of the book does uh, similar things like that. So I recommend this book a lot. It says, I'm just looking at the back of the book here, it said ancient Jews were expecting a supernatural Messiah that would heal the sick and resurrect the dead. They believed he would suffer initial defeat only to return later in glory. And it says this new evidence in the book led Hebrew scholars to state that the writers of the scrolls were expecting a Messiah very close to the one that we Christians believe in. So um, I think you'd, you'd really get something interesting out of this book, especially if you have your Bible right with you as you're going through it. Once again, the title is The Search for Messiah. Authors are Eastman and Smith. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, talk to you again, and thanks for your time.